Um, but children, can you form an orderly line at the back of the church for me? Um, because I need your help with something. I need you to gather at the front. But, and maybe all the children could gather um, at the back of the church. And uh, Freya, I need your help as well, if I may. Sorry, I didn't prep you for this. Um, we all know, don't we, that... Um, we all know that the symbol of Easter is an egg, don't we? I don't really know why, I'm not really sure why, and it's something to do with new life, isn't it? Or maybe it's like the empty tomb or something, but actually we're not going to think about that symbol particularly today, but this is one of the symbols, and I'm sure that some of the children at the front would like a chocolate mini egg. Am I right? Put your hand up if you'd like a chocolate mini egg. Yeah. No, only two people want a chocolate mini egg. Three, I can see three, four hands, five hands, six hands. No, the rest of you don't want them. I'm going to eat them all myself then. Okay, Bessede wants one. Bessede, you can join the line if you want. Right, I've got these um, mini-eggs here, and I need you to come and form a neat, orderly line to come and get one. Um, But there is one problem. You see, we can't get to the joy of chocolate eggs on Easter Sunday without passing through something. So, Frey, can you come and help me? Um, Did anybody ever see that program, Gladiators? This is not quite like that. (laughs) Come and stand here. Right. Okay. Yes, scooters are, scooters are Easter obstacles as well. Right, here we go. Here's your job. Yeah, so you guys have got to come through, and you've got to come carefully past this cross, which is an obstacle. Let's go. It's not, it's not actually a contest to knock any children out today. But, but you can come, and you're going to come and sit at the carpet when you get here. But you might have to bend. You might have to duck. There you are. Come, 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 and then sit down when you're here. Seth, sit down, please. Carpet. Brilliant. Good. Make it harder, Freya. Come on. Make it more difficult. Don't actually hurt any of them, though. I'll get into trouble if I do. Lewis, there you are. Right, eggs. There you are. Who's not had an egg? There we go. So it's a bit of a barrier, isn't it? You have to kind of make your way through carefully. Did you have one? Right, who didn't have one? There we go. Who's waiting for one? There you go. Look for me. Right, who's still waiting for a chocolate? There you go. No? Okay. Anybody else? Some guys that like, can you nudge forward a little bit, guys, on the carpet? Nudge on the rug, we can all fit. If you're not on the rug, you can't get a chocolate. That's one of the Anglican rules. It's in the 39 articles, it says. There you go. All right, guys. Brilliant. Thank you very much. You can just leave that there as a kind of tangible barrier, perhaps. Right, who's still waiting? Who's still waiting for a chocolate? Anybody? No? All done. Great. Plenty for me later on. Now, why did I do that? I want to make the very simple point that when we get to Easter Sunday, although it's a wonderful celebration, if we don't remember what's happened on Friday, if we don't remember the events of the cross, the death of Jesus, then our celebration actually is emptied out of any of its power or any of its meaning. And so you've passed through the cross to come and celebrate, and now you're sitting under the cross, and that's what I want us to focus on today. Because what is the cause of celebration at Easter? Is it it the cross on which Jesus died, or is it the empty tomb from which he rose? Well, of course, it's both. 
But there are differences in emphasis sometimes, which one we might think about. Actually, did anybody come on the walk of witness this Friday? A couple of hundred people gathered from different churches and we walked around following a large cross. I used to join in with a walk of witness in uh, Paddington with my wife Sarah in a church that we were uh, based at there. And it was a really interesting and funny walk of witness because half of the people who were on the walk wanted to meditate upon the cross, to reflect in a somber way upon the death of Jesus, to mourn our own participation in that fallen humanity which crucified God. We wanted to kind of beat our chests and it was silent, it was agony. The other half of the walk wanted to celebrate that Jesus had overcome the power of sin. And so they came with tambourines and banners and tracts, and they wanted to sing and dance and celebrate and clap. And let me tell you, the people who wanted it to be silent and somber didn't like the people who wanted to sing and dance. Why are they making such a noise? Don't they know it's Good Friday? Don't they know that we killed Jesus on this day? Why are they celebrating? That's what, that's what all the people who were silent thought. And all the people who were making all this noise, woo! Happy day! All of the people who were making the noise, okay, they, di- they didn't like the people who were silent. Oh, why are they so serious? They need to get over themselves. It's a celebration. Jesus died for our sins. We're set free. Hurrah! Yeah? It was a really interesting experiment in ecumenical endeavor. There's kind of three, four hundred Christians together, half of whom loathed being with the other half, and the other half loathed being with that half. Therein lies a parable. But you see, it's interesting that both things are right. That the silent half, they wanted to kind of wait, and they wanted to put their celebrations onto Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the tomb. And, and the noisy half, they wanted to celebrate because Jesus on the cross died so that we could be forgiven, to take away our sin, so that we could be reconciled to God. And that is good news. And they wanted to celebrate it. So it's both. The empty tomb, if, if we had the empty tomb, if we had the cross, if Jesus died but didn't rise again, all he would be is another failed insurrectionist, another failed revolutionary. It's the empty tomb which vindicates his death on the cross, which gives meaning to it. But the cross itself was central to what God was doing. And there are lots of things that can be said about the cross, but I want to focus on just one today. I've got some slides that will go with this, Larry. If you just try and follow, there's our title, Love Wins on the Cross. And I want to think a bit about the victory of the cross And there are lots of things that we could say about what was going on on the cross, lots of ways in which Jesus was doing extraordinary things. But I want to focus on just one today, and that is the power over, uh, the victory over the powers of evil. Let me read to you a couple of lines from our uh, first reading that Nathaniel read at the beginning of our service. It said this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and Jesus went around doing good and, listen to this, healing all who were under the power of the devil. We should have that on the screen. Healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Then he carries on, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now that phrase jumped out at me when I was reading the Bible and thinking about this morning. 
because it says that Jesus healed all those who were under the power of the devil. And actually what the Bible says is that on Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, God was engaged in a cosmic battle of good against evil. Who can think of some heroes and villains? Because good and evil always has heroes and villains. I don't want to know who you think are heroes and who you think are villains. I've got the green mic, Jonathan. Uh, Let's have some heroes first. Give me some heroes. Thor. Thor. Thor is a hero, is he? Great. Uh, Let's have another hero. Flash. Flash. Ah, he'll save every one of us. Um, Another hero. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. He's a great hero. Another hero. Um... Batman. Batman, yeah. Hero, another hero. Superman. Superman, another hero. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, another hero. Um. Not sure, another hero. Aquaman. Aquaman. There are, oh, sorry, lots of themes here, aren't there? You got another hero? Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore, another hero. Sarah. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, thank you. Another hero. Hermione Granger. Hermione Granger, yes. Come on, represent. Uh, more, any more heroes? Ron Weasley. Right, yeah, okay. Let's not just do the whole cast list of Harry Potter. And one more hero. Ben 10. Ben 10. Ben 10, hero. Was that a Star Wars one? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi or Luke Scott. Yeah, exactly. Lots we could have. Any other heroes? No. Any other heroes? Angela. Marie Curie. Marie Curie. Lots of heroes. Okay, lots of heroes. Um, And we're going to think a bit about heroes, but we're also going to think a bit about villains. So now I want some villains. Some villainous villainous villains. Um, Voldemort. He who must not be named, you mean? No. (laughs) No, okay. All right, uh, Julian's got one. Arsene Wenger. (laughs) It's, It's so predictable. Blessing. The Joker. The Joker, another villain. Captain America. Ca- oh, it, no. well, interesting in geopolitical terms, maybe. Um, any other villains? Grown-ups, have you got any villains? No. Ska- oh, yeah, Mumra. <laughs> We've got a very, um, I think our, I don't think our grown-ups watch enough superhero action movies. They don't know all the villains. Go on, then. Spurs. Oh, no, let, we, we'll, we won't do the football theme. Darth Vader. Darth Vader, a good villain. Is there any one more? Um, we could, like, Darth Maul. Darth Maul, okay, right. So, all done, all done. For the sake of unity within our church, we're not going to do any more football jokes, okay, because there's a variety of interests represented here. Now, um, here's the point. Every... Every great story that we know has heroes and villains. Every great story that is told in films and in books has heroes and it has villains because we are fascinated by this conflict between good and evil. Why? Because we know that in these stories we see something of the deep story, the deep reality that we are struggling with in our lives, that we are wrestling with in the world in which we live. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the decisive victory of the powers of good over the powers of evil. It's the decisive victory of God over the devil. Here's what Colossians 2 says in the Bible. It says, God forgave us all our sins. We know that was happening on the cross, don't we? 
having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So we, we'd wandered far away from God. We had disobeyed him. We'd, uh, the Bible says we'd all been like sheep and gone astray, following our, our own paths and our own ways. We hadn't done what he wanted. And, um, and, and our legal indebtedness, our, our alienation, our separation from God stood against us and condemned us. That's what the Bible says. But what has Jesus done? Colossians 2 verse 14 and 15 says this. I think we've got this up. Yeah, we have. Good. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So all of, our, all of that legal indebtedness, all of that separation, all, all of um, the things which had separated us from God have been taken and nailed to the cross. But something more has been uh, defeated as well. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, who do you think Jesus is talking about there? The powers and the authorities. Any ideas? He's disarmed. Jesus has disarmed the powers and the authorities. Which powers and authorities has he disarmed? Yeah. He's disarmed all the forces of evil, the devil and all that is opposed to God's rule. So Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities and he makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's what the Bible says was happening on that day when Jesus died on the cross, good finally triumphed decisively over evil. And that's really good news for us because it means that bullies and baddies and villains never get the last word. Now in most of the films from which some of those heroes and villains that we've heard are drawn, actually the villains don't get the last word, do they? Good usually triumphs because it's that great epic story that we all long to see worked out. The good news for us is that love wins. God triumphs. We need this news and we need this message more than ever today because we live in a world which is still beset by violence, by evil. We know they don't fundamentally have any power, but it's like, um, it's like we're living in the kind of wreckage with this sort of lingering echoes of all that which is opposed to God. So just one week ago, Christians gathering in Egypt were killed and murdered by suicide bombers who went into the churches where they worshipped, let off the explosions and killed the people there. People still do bad things. There are still baddies in the world who do terrible things. But we need not fear the power of evil anymore because we know that evil never has the last word. We know that love wins. We know that good triumphs over evil. How does God defeat the powers of evil? Well, he achieves victory through sacrifice. This is slightly strange for us because if you wanted to beat somebody, what do you think you would normally have to do? Let's have some ideas. If you're in a contest with somebody and uh, and you wanted to beat them or overcome them or defeat them, what would you do? Pray to the Lord. Oh, that's a brilliant answer. I, that's exactly what we should do. I'm not sure that I always would. What would you do? Trick them. Trick them, yeah. The good old slap on the back. Good old slap. <laughs> Quite what my children do. Who knows both? Work harder. Work harder. Yeah, we might, so we might try and get stronger. If we were Batman we'd get some more gadgets for our utility belt, wouldn't we? We'd try and overcome it. We'd try and defeat them. We'd try and chump. We'd try and do it in our own strength. Sometimes, even heroes might even 
try and choose violence as a way of overcoming evil people. They might try to use force or power or strength. But God doesn't do it like that. God doesn't fight evil with evil. He doesn't take on the forces of evil at their own game. He chooses another way because God knows that ultimately the power of love is greater than any evil or violence. Put your hands up if you've ever read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or seen the film. Can I commend it to you? It's an epic in English literature, and many of you, perhaps, if you've never read it, a really uh, wonderful, wonderful story, famous story by C.S. Lewis. Put your hand up if you've ever read uh, the Harry Potter books. Goodness me. A lo- I thought that more of our church would have read C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, or the Harry Potter books. Again, can I commend them to you? They're great works of fiction, brilliant, wonderful stories. Now, the authors... C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, and J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter, they understand this dynamic about the power of love being greater than any evil or violence. In The Chronicles of Narnia and in Harry Potter, characters talk about there being a deeper magic that the White Witch doesn't know about and that Voldemort doesn't know about. There's a deeper rule. There's a deeper reality that is more powerful than the powers of violence or or of darkness. And it's the power of sacrificial love. It's the power of Aslan to step in on the stone table and give his life in the place of Edmund. It's the power of Harry's mum, Lily Potter, to stand in the way to shield her own son and give her own life for the sake of her son. It's the power of Harry Potter to go and face evil and lay down his own life for the sake of all those that he loves. You see, when C.S. Lewis is writing and when J.K. Rowling are writing, they're drawing upon the greatest story, the story of Easter, the story of Good Friday and of Easter Sunday. But there's another film, there's another story which depicts this. And it's one of my favorites. It's called Big Hero 6. Has anyone seen Big Hero 6? Yeah? I love Big Hero 6. Let me commend it to you. It's a great work of art. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a text message out with like a reading list and a viewing list of things that we should all do later on. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Because I, I saw it with my family a few years ago on, on uh, the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And the minute I saw it, I, was, I had something stuck in my eye throughout the whole film, actually. It was quite, um, it was quite awkward. Um, we went to, I went to see E.T. yesterday uh, with the family. And again, I had something stuck in my eye the whole way through. I don't know what would come over me, but I was just streaming. Very embarrassing. I knew straight away it was a brilliant Easter film. Let me tell you a bit about it. So uh, there is a central character whose name is Hero. And uh, the film is set in San Francisco. It's a fictional place in the future. And uh, Hero is a kind of technology whiz kid. He's an expert at coding and hacking and designing and making and all those sorts of things. And uh, he's inspired by his older brother, Tadishi. And Tadishi is also a technological whiz kid. And uh, they all are part of a special university, a special college, where they get to design incredible things. Uh, Hero's brother, Tadashi, has developed a character called Baymax. Thanks. These guys know it so well. But for your benefit, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Now, Baymax is a personal healthcare assistant. Baymax exists only so that we can be healed and made whole. Only so that we can be supported and cared for. Tadashi 
is killed in a fire. And his younger brother, Hero, is consumed with grief. When Hero discovers that the fire actually wasn't an accidental fire, but that it was deliberate, his grief turns to rage, and in his rage, he wants to get revenge. Hero tries to take the path of evil to overcome evil. There's a baddie, there's a villain. It's called Cray. And um, Cray and Callan, there are two different complicated guys. And they're both, they're both villains in the end. I know you guys know it so well. They're correcting me as we go along. But for the purposes of simplicity, um, Hero wants to program Baymax to become an instrument of revenge. He wants Baymax to stop being a personal healthcare assistant and instead to become a warrior, to be the ultimate fighting machine, to be able to take the path of violence against his enemies. So he reprograms Baymax. Now, this goes against all of Baymax's natural instincts and his programming. Baymax says, I fail to see how karate makes me a better healthcare companion. Baymax questions whether Tadashi, Hiro's older brother, would actually want Hiro to do this. Baymax claims, I was programmed to heal. That's what he was made for. Healing. It's what all heroes and all villains need. We learn as the film continues that the villainous man in the mask is actually just like Hero. Both of them seek revenge after losing family members that they love. When we suffer loss, we can be tempted to exert ourselves against the evil which has caused our suffering. We can be tempted to seek the path of violence or revenge. We discover that the villain is actually motivated by his desire to get revenge after his daughter was lost in an experiment. Now, Hero goes through a transformation and he realizes that the path of violence and trying to overcome evil with evil is not the right one. And he resolves to attempt to rescue Abigail, the daughter of the villain, But to do so involves a perilous journey into this kind of electromagnetic portal that has been created. And with Baymax's help, they plunge into this portal. I imagine it, in fact, when I saw it, it felt like Easter Saturday because it felt like they plunged into the depths of the grave to go and find the souls of those who were lost. Right? It was an extraordinary moment. They're successful. They manage to save and send Abigail out. And they're attempting to return when calamity strikes. And that's where we're going to pick up the film. Still a way I can get you both to safety. I cannot deactivate until you say you are satisfied with your care. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. 
What about you? Are my patient? Baymax, your no. health is my only concern. Stop! No, I, I'm, I'm gonna figure are out. Are you satisfied with your care? No. There's gotta be another way. I'm not gonna leave you here. I'll think of something. There is no time. Are you satisfied with your care? Please, no. I can't lose you two. Hero, I will always be with you. I'm satisfied with my care. It's a really moving scene. Baymax knows that the only way that he can get Hero and Abigail to safety is by ejecting them with his booster rocket, but that will leave him stuck in the portal. God triumphs over evil by sacrificial love. In a world that's threatened with destruction by our own rivalry and violence, Big Hero 6 is a gospel story with hope, with the good news that like Hero, we can be reprogrammed too. Baymax is a Christ-like figure because he shows that the only alternative to a desire that leads to violence, that threatens our existence, is a desire to offer ourselves to one another in the spirit of love and healing. Our patterns of desire can be reprogrammed by our creator, the God who walks with us through heartbreaking experiences of loss and grief to allow our broken hearts to heal and grow bigger with compassion and love. So how does God triumph over evil? He does it by sacrificial love. He does it by the cross. Romans 12 verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The good that we do is allowing the life of the risen Jesus to live within us, cooperating with the spirit of Jesus Christ who leads us in those paths of self-giving love. So this Easter, let's resolve to live and to love in the heroic way that we're shown by Baymax and also by Jesus. What kind of heroic love did Jesus show us? Here's how Peter describes it in the Bible. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So celebrate this Easter Sunday But remember Good Friday. Remember that the powers of evil are defeated and we are healed. Remember that love ultimately wins by sacrifice and ultimately love wins over all.
Amen.